0: Welcome to the Dark Wales Tours podcast with me, Matthew Rose. On this episode, we will be looking at the life of the patron saint of Wales, St David. We will also look at some other lesser-known saints of Wales who have left their mark on this mystical country. St David, or Dewi Sant in Welsh, is of course the patron saint of Wales. Together with St. George, St. Andrew and St. Patrick, he is one of four patron saints of Britain. He also has the distinction of being the only patron saint of Britain who was a native of the country he now represents. There is a story of St. Patrick arriving in Wales 50 years before David's birth. Patrick was planning on setting up his monastic settlement and making Wales his home. Suddenly however an angel of the Lord appeared and told Patrick that Wales was not the land for him as it was reserved for David. Saint David is thought to have been born in around 500 AD at Pembrokeshire to Saint Non the daughter of the king of Ceredigion. It is said that there was a great storm during the birth and Saint Non had to take shelter on a hill, which even today is the site of the ruined Saint Non's Chapel. During his life, Saint David founded many monastic settlements throughout Wales and even some in England and Brittany. The monastic brotherhood that David founded was very strict. Besides praying and celebrating masses, they cultivated the land and carried out many crafts, including beekeeping, in order to feed themselves and the many pilgrims and travellers who needed lodgings. They also fed and clothed the poor and the needy. During a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, St. David is said to have taken a stone from the holy city and brought it back with him to Wales, where he kept it in his original monastery. The site of which is now occupied by St. David's Cathedral in the small city of St. David's itself. The stone he brought with him now sits on the altar in the cathedral. It is a legend when David and his followers first come to set up the settlement in what was then called Glyn Hrusen, or the Vale of Roses. At that time, the area was being terrorized by an Irish bandit called Boa. Boah's wife, who had a deep hatred of monks, demanded that her husband drive them out from the area. This should have been easy, as he had done it many times before. However, David was able to tame him and even converted him to Christianity. Boah's wife was enraged, so she sent her maidservants to the monastery in order to tempt the monks into breaking their vow of chastity and to add to the temptation, all the maids were naked. When the naked women arrived, the monks were startled and worried that they would succumb to the women. David, however, confronted the women to tell them to go back to their mistress and leave the monks alone. The monks saw St. David's complete self-control and became inspired, which made it easier to resist the women and retain their vows. One of David's most famous miracles occurred when he was delivering a sermon at Llandewi Brevi. A huge crowd had gathered to hear David speak, and as the sermon got underway, those at the back could not see David and could not hear him either. When this came to David's attention, he prayed to God, and a hill started to grow at his feet. It grew and grew until he could be seen and heard by everyone in attendance as we have seen in our death omens episode it was also said that saint david asked god to give the welsh a warning of their imminent death these signs came in the form of small balls of light or orbs emanating from the home of the soon to be deceased in the 12th century pope calixtus ii canonized david using the miracle of the hill as proof of his divine powers. St. David's feast day would become the first of March, the day he died. The place where his original monastery was located in West Wales was named St. David's in his honor. The Pope also decreed that two pilgrimage to St. David's was equivalent to one pilgrimage to Rome, which shows how important St. David was viewed by the Pope. Due to the long and dangerous journey it would be to Jerusalem, many pilgrims, nobles, and royalty opted to travel to St. David's instead. In 1077, William I, otherwise known as William the Conqueror, visited St. David's. King Henry II came in 1171, and King Edward I and his wife, Queen Eleanor, made the pilgrimage in 1284. St. David's is the smallest city in Britain and it was originally given city status in the 12th century. In England and Wales, it was tradition to give city status to cathedral towns under a practice laid down in the early 1540s when Henry VIII founded diocese. However, its city status was withdrawn in 1886 But again restored in 1994 at the request of Queen Elizabeth II. Saint David's Day on the 1st of March is celebrated all over the world. Many people dress up in traditional Welsh clothes from children going to school in bonnets and checked dresses to incredibly even Disney characters in Disneyland Paris wearing Welsh clothes and having the Welsh dragon projected onto Sleeping Beauty's castle. St David's day is a day to try Welsh food such as Welsh cakes and Welsh rabbit and to decorate the house and workplace with daffodils and leeks, symbols of Wales and St David respectively. The leek became a symbol of St David as it is said that he would only eat leeks and would only drink water due to his strict religious beliefs. The association of leeks and Wales was mentioned by William Shakespeare himself in his play Henry V. However, the association of leeks in Wales goes back even earlier. It is thought one legend suggests that during a battle against the pagans, 7th century king of Gwynedd Cadwalder allegedly told his soldiers to wear a leek in their helmets for identification purposes, with some legends even saying the battle itself Took place in a field of leeks, but none of this is known for certain. One of St David's followers was a devout man named Tylo. He was born in Pembrokeshire, and some accounts say that he is in fact Saint David's cousin. Yet again, this is not known for certain. Tylo was very close to St David and travelled with him to the Holy Land, where John the Third made them both bishops. On their return to Wales, Tylo founded a church in Llandaff, just outside Cardiff. He became the Bishop of Llandaff and became well known for his piety and devotion to God. When an outbreak of yellow fever hit the area, Tylo and his followers fled the area. Passing through Cornwall, they then settled in Brittany. It is from Brittany where we get some of the many tales of Tylo's miraculous feats. Upon his arrival, legend says that Tylo tamed a dragon that was terrorizing the local area. Tylo was able to chain the dragon to a rock in the port where it is said it still resides inside the rocks. After the monks had settled into their new home, a local lord who wanted to keep his land and not give it to the religious order, told Tylo that he could have as much land as he could encircle from sunset to sunrise. In order to gain as much land as possible from the Lord, Tylo tamed a stag and rode him all night and encircled a large area of land, much to the annoyance of the Lord. It is due to this story that the images of St. Tilo in many Brittany churches have him riding a stag in his bishop's robes. While he was in Brittany, it is said that Tylo and St. Samson Planted three miles of fruit trees in order to feed the monastic settlement. After he was canonized, Tyler became the patron saint of fruit trees. After the death of Saint David, Tyler became known as the most holy man in Wales and more than 25 churches are dedicated to him across Wales, Cornwall and Brittany. Only Saint David himself has more churches. Tylo died at Landilo on the 9th of February in an unknown year. The Catholic Church canonized him again, the year is unknown, but his feast day is observed on the 9th of February. It is from Tylo's death that we get his final and probably most unusual miracle. When the news of his death spread around the country, three different churches made a claim to his body the place of his birth, Llandaf, where he was bishop, and of course Llandailo, the place where he died. All three churches said they were the best place to hold the body of such a holy man and saint. It also had financial advantages to have relics or the tomb of saints, as it meant your church became a place of pilgrimage where people would come from all over and pay to see the holy relics. To solve the question of where St. Tylo's body should be kept, the three churches prayed for an answer. The next day, Tylo's body had multiplied into three, one for each church. This became a very convenient answer when anyone questioned why three churches claimed to have the true body of St. Tylo. It is not just his relics that Landaff uses to have a connection with St. Tylo. Llandaff is also the home of St. Tylo's well, a holy well that is said to hold powers of healing. The concept of holy wells, which normally hold powers of healing, is a remnant of pre-Christian belief. Water was important to the Celtic mythology, being seen as a gateway between worlds. They believed that the spirits could travel between worlds through rivers, ponds, and wells. The ancient Celts believed that certain wells held the power of the water spirits, which could be summoned to heal various ailments. When Christianity came to Britain, these wells were so important that instead of getting rid of their magical properties, it was said that instead of pagan spirits, which the church said were evil, the wells were dedicated to Christian saints. They said that the saints held the power to cleanse the wells of the evil spirits and would let the water run clean. Many wells in Wales were dedicated to saints and said to hold healing powers. Some wells came with their own Christianized origin stories, such as Saint Winifred's well. Saint Winifred is a Welsh martyr from the 7th century. She was the daughter of Wenlo, the sister of Saint Bueno. Winifred had many suitors, but one, Cardog, was adamant that he was going to marry her and became obsessed. Winifred had other ideas and wanted to devote her life to God and live as a nun. Urged on by her uncle, Saint Bueno, Winifred joined the church and became a nun at Holywell. When news of Winifred taking her holy vows reached Cardog, he was enraged. He tracked her down at the nunnery and a fierce argument broke out. Winifred stood her ground and told Caradog that she was now married to God and would spend the rest of her life as a nun. In his anger, Caradog drew his sword, swung it at her and decapitated her with one swift blow. The moment Winifred's head hit the ground, water began to spout up. Soon a well had flooded the area and by the time Saint Bueno came to take Winifred's body away, her head was floating in a substantial pool of water. After hearing from the nuns where the well had appeared, Saint Bueno picked up Winifred's head and placed it on her body. Winifred blinked her eyes, moved her mouth, and then walked around. She was fully restored to life. The holy well had demonstrated its powers of healing. It was also said that St. Bueno cursed Caradog and his family. They would bark like dogs and could only be cured by being immersed in the waters of the well. After eight years, Winifred left Hollywell and became abbess at Gwythryn in Denbyshire, where she lived a life of devotion and died again, but this time from old age. As news of the miraculous power of Saint Winifred's well spread through the land more and more pilgrims journeyed to the magical well at Holywell. In 1115 the well had become a major place of pilgrimage and from 1240 to the dissolution of the monasteries it was part of Basingwork Abbey. It became known as the place for kings of England to visit before battle to ensure victory. It is said that Henry V made the pilgrimage in 1415 just before his victory at Agincourt, as did Edward IV before the Battle of Towton, the bloodiest battle fought on English soil in 1461. Legend says that Henry VII made a secret visit to the well before marching into England for his victory at the Battle of Bosworth in 1485. What lends credit to this theory is that the current architecture of the building that houses the well dates from the late 15th century and is believed to have been built by Lady Margaret Beaufort, Henry VII's mother, to replace an earlier structure and is richly decorated. The badges of Henry VII and Thomas Stanley, Margaret Beaufort's third husband, adorns the exterior of the building and the quality of the workmanship suggests that royal masons may have been employed in the building project. This has been seen as a royal way of giving thanks for the victory that was secured when Henry visited the well before the Battle of Bosworth. Due to this connection between St. Winifred's well and the Kings of England, Winifred is mostly venerated in England and she does not appear in any roll call of Welsh saints. And her feast day, the 3rd of November, does not appear in the 13th century calendar of Welsh saints either. Another Welsh saint that has a well dedicated to them that is said to provide healing is Saint Fagan. Saint Fagan, or Fugatius, is a legendary bishop and saint who is credited, together with Saint Deruvian, with baptizing King Lucius and bringing Christianity to Britain. King Lucius was a legendary king of Britain, who upon hearing about Christianity, wrote to the Pope asking, to be baptized into the religion. In response, the Pope sent two bishops in order to baptize the King and also to teach him the ways of the religion and aid him in converting his people and the rest of Britain. The two bishops, St. Fagin and St. Deruvian, arrived, baptized King Lucius and traveled the land preaching the Bible to the people. Several churches are dedicated to St. Fagin and the village of St. Fagins is named after him. It is within the grounds of St Fagans Castle where it is said lies the now hidden St Fagans well. The healing powers of this well were once known far and wide. During the 17th century the country was in turmoil. King Charles I and Parliament were at war, dividing the country between the royalists and the parliamentarians. Even though this time is known as the English Civil War, it did affect the whole of the British Isles. It is said that while recruiting soldiers for his cause, King Charles himself visited St. Fagans well with the hope its power would help him win the war. In 1648 it seemed to be working as many generals from the parliamentarians defected to the royalist cause over the issue of unpaid wages. The Royalist forces were keen to defeat the parliamentarians before Oliver Cromwell himself arrived with reinforcements. On the 8th of May 1648, the two sides met on the ground of what is now St Fagan's National Museum of History. A bloody battle took place which left hundreds dead and thousands more injured. It seems that the magical healing properties of St Fagan's well was known to enough of the soldiers as it is said some tried to make the way to the well in order to heal themselves only to succumb to their injuries on the way their ghosts are said to be still retracing their last steps trying in vain to reach the mystical waters of saint fagan's well despite all the achievements of saint fagan and all the churches and places named after him there is no feast day connected to saint fagan and sources cannot even agree on the spelling of his name. The first mention of the story of King Lucius and St Fagan is from Geoffrey of Monmouth's History of the Kings of Britain. This supposed full history of the ancient kings of Britain recounts their many legendary exploits. It is from this book that we get the first full account of Britain's most famous legendary king King Arthur. So it is not known for certain that St Fagan actually existed. So the life of St Fagin and his exploits to this day is still marred in mystery. There is another Welsh saint that could have a potential connection to King Arthur and that is St Gavin. St Govan is most well known for his chapel, simply called St Gavin's Chapel, which is perched on a ravine in the cliffs overlooking the sea at St Gavin's Head in Pembrokeshire. Inside the chapel, there is a vertical cleft in the rock. This cleft is said to have appeared for St Gavin when he needed a hide from his enemies. It is said that if you stand on this cleft and face the wall and make a wish, it will come true. Despite the many miracles associated with St Gavin, no one is actually sure who he was. Some say he was a disciple of Saint David. Some say he was a thief that converted to Christianity in gratitude for his hiding place appearing. He is also said to have been of Irish descent and was a monk who moved to Wales. In this version, he is said to have been set upon by pirates when he arrived in Wales, and as he ran from them, he sought a place to hide. At that moment, the cliff opened up and a small cavern appeared just the right size for him to hide himself and wait for the pirates to pass. When he was released from this hiding place he vowed to stay on the cliffside and build a chapel. The steps that lead down to the tiny chapel are carved into the rock and it is said that if you count the steps the count would be different depending on if you are walking up or down them. St. Gavin also said to actually be Sir Gawain, one of King Arthur's trusted knights of the Round Table. Sir Gawain was said to be the most courteous of all the knights. He was a strict upholder of chivalry and he was a great enemy of Sir Lancelot. Sir Gawain is most commonly known for his adventure involving the Green Knight. The Green Knight arrived at Camelot and burst into the Great Hall. He then challenged the knights to a beheading contest. Sir Gawain accepted and cut off the stranger's head with a single blow. To everyone's surprise, the green knight just bent down, picked up his head, mounted his horse, and told Sir Gawain to meet him in a lonely chapel a year from that day in order to take a turn at receiving a blow from the axe. During this journey, Sir Gawain stayed at the house of a friend, Sir Bursilact, who had a beautiful wife. Gawain was tempted by Bersalac's wife but managed to resist her for two days. However on the third day he accepted a green sash from her which was only borne by a knight to show his love for a lady. When Sir Gawain arrived at the chapel the green knight was waiting for him. The green knight it turned out was Sir Bursilac himself. Three times the axe was swung at Sir Gawain's head Twice it was deflected because he had not given in to his desire for his friend's wife. The third time it only cut Gawain because he had only accepted the green sash out of good manners. Sir Gawain realised that courtesy was no equal to moral purity and therefore wore the green sash to remind himself of this lesson. Whoever St. Gawain was, it is said that his body is buried under the chapel stone altar. This very altar is popular with those making wishes and it is said that a wish made in St. Gavin's Chapel will indeed come true. Due to the mystical nature of Wales and its history, it is no wonder we have many stories of powerful figures and magical wells that have endured through the ages, even survived the conversion of paganism to Christianity. The Welsh embraced Christianity wholeheartedly But this was also down to the fact that they were still able to visit the same sites that their ancestors visited. But instead of praying to pagan gods, they now prayed to Christian saints. Wales also has the distinction of having a native Welshman as its patron saint. Saint George of England was actually from Turkey. Saint Andrew of Scotland was from Galilee, which is modern day Israel and Saint Patrick of Ireland was from mainland Britain, most likely England. This means Wales is unique among the countries of Great Britain. As we have seen, Wales has often been the preferred location of pilgrimage for the kings of England, instead of making the long, dangerous journey to Jerusalem. The power and influence of Welsh saints, especially Saint David, mean that even popes have viewed Wales as an important country and with its many holy wells, many pilgrims made the journey in order to cure themselves of various diseases. If you have your own story to share on this or any of the other topics in our podcast, then please email us on darkwales at hotmail.com. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Dark Wales Tours podcast. Please be sure to share... And like this episode, and also follow us on our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter feeds. Be sure to listen to the other episodes of this podcast, new episodes being released every two weeks. Until next time, Diorchen Vowell, thank you very much, and of course, Div Dewi Sant Happis. Happy St. David's Day. The Dark Wales Tours podcast is produced and delivered by Matthew Rose and Luke Alcock, owners of Dark Wales Tools.